if you're just looking to get into real estate, I may not be the best person for you. There's mm. plenty of people who can tell you about the ins and outs of real estate. Where I'm extremely good is being able to help people attract capital for deals uh, and building kind of the platforms and building kind of uh, some of the marketing channels that they need to be successful. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, John Kasman. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not familiar with John, he is a real estate entrepreneur who has partnered with busy professionals to invest in over $100 million worth of apartments. John also consults active multifamily investors to help them start and grow their business. And on top of that, he hosts a multifamily insights podcast, which is one of my favorite shows I've listened to for years. And I highly recommend you check it out. John, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Hey Daniel, thank you for having me, and thank you for supporting the show for so many so many years. Oh man, it's it's like I said before. It, we talked a little bit about before hitting record. One of my favorite shows, all time favorites, helped me on my path. Highly recommend everybody check it out, man. Keep plugging away, John, because it's good stuff. But uh, you know, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about multifamily. We're going to talk about scaling. A lot of a lot of great stuff that our listeners are going to really just eat up. But before we do that, man, we want to hear more about you. So tell us more about your background, your story, and how you got into real estate. So I started in uh, corporate America, you know, just like many of your your listeners. So I had a day job, enjoyed my job. I was in marketing and advertising for 15 years. And in, in short, what happened is uh, I was at General Motors when we went through bankruptcy. And that experience showed me that I could not rely solely on a W-2 job. So I started to learn more about my other options. Real estate kept popping up. And I started to learn how to invest in real estate. Now, again, I was in Detroit at the time. So Everybody who I knew who was investing in real estate was trying to fire sell it for whatever they could get. Sure. And it just didn't feel like the right time to invest. You know, I ended up getting married, moving to Chicago with my wife. And at that point, we're like, okay, we're going to start our new, our new life. Real estate wants, is going to be a part of this. And about a year later, we bought our first property, which was a duplex. We lived in one unit, rented out the other, you know, affectionately known now as a house hack. And uh, that worked really well for us. They worked extremely well. So we went out and took some extra money that we saved and bought a three-unit building. We refinanced that first property, bought an eight-unit building. And that was pretty intentional. I wanted to get into commercial real estate. I wanted to have experience managing a property manager because one challenge we were facing, and I really felt this once we closed on the eight-unit, is every time we bought a property, we were right back to being broke. So okay. we're saving money, we're saving money, buy a property, nothing in our bank account, right? Very little, at least for reserves. Right. And the, the point of it is we were equity rich, kind of cash flow poor because the properties made money, but we had so much money tied up in equity on these deals, we weren't as liquid as we wanted. And that was a challenge for us because we were seeing more deals and more opportunities, but we weren't, we didn't have the liquidity to go out there and buy it. So that's when we started to really learn about other options of investing, other strategies, particularly syndication and partnering with other people. So from there on, we actually learned more and more about it. We partnered with the group to invest in over 192 units. And really from that point, we really didn't turn back, you know, so we've been general partners in over a hundred million dollars worth of real estate. We've partnered with busy professionals to join us and invest alongside us in those deals. And we continue to do the same thing today. 
Yeah. I mean, that's a huge story, right? And you've scaled so much since that time, right? Since you, since you started with that house hack. So I, I want to talk about that for a little while. So you were very intentional about your strategy going into this, right? You knew you wanted to operate in the commercial, commercial real estate space. What, what really kind of drew you to multifamily? Cause there's, there's a lot of different things in, in commercial real estate, right? There's office, there's retail, you can do self storage, whatever, right? What kind of drew you to multifamily to say, Hey, this is the asset class that I want to focus on. I think there's a there's something about simplicity, right? And for me, I understood multifamily. I've lived in apartments before. It's pretty easy to understand, you know, tenants pay rent. You know, you take that rent money, you subtract out your expenses, whatever's left is your your profits, right? And I understood that with office and retail and medical, those to me felt like real commercial real estate. Like you needed to really understand like Sure. all the ins and outs of commercial right so like cost per square foot and leasing contracts and all sorts of stuff but multifamily felt like just renting one unit at a time but to a lot of people you right. know what i mean like right. like it, the, this difference in buying a hundred houses and buying a hundred units i understood why buying a hundred units was easier to buy a hundred houses, right? If you can buy one house, you can buy a hundred units. And with the rest of the commercial landscape, I honestly didn't believe in myself enough. You know, I didn't know about all. And, and in that space, if you're wrong, the only other buyer is another savvy commercial investor ready to pounce on your mistake, right? And I'm not saying you jump up and go to a commercial multifamily and buy a hundred units out of the gate. But if you start with a two unit or a three unit, it's a little bit easier to get your feet wet. And then when I got to the eight unit, that was my real test, right? Because now I'm in a commercial state space. Now I've got a property management company that I have to manage and navigate. And that kind of gave me the confidence and the skills to say, okay, we can now do this on a scale. But the the short is I read a lot of books and every investor, every book I've ever read, you know, anybody who started a single family, they said they wish they started a multifamily sooner. So from reading all that, I'm like, all right, well, let's just start a multifamily. We'll just do small multifamily, right? And the two, the two unit was great for me because we were renting in Chicago. We need a place to live anyway. So it's like, well, why don't we just buy a two unit? We'll live in one unit, rent out the other. This is a nice kind of transition into being a multifamily investor. Let's learn at this place. We're in a nice neighborhood. So the tenants we're going to get are going to be people who are our neighbors. They're going to be like-minded kind of people. My tenant made $100,000 a year. So I wasn't really worried about her paying rent. So it made it a little bit easier to ease into it. So as I kind of grew and understood more what it took to be a multifamily investor and a property owner, you know, I could go out and buy that three unit. Then I could learn from that standpoint. Then I could go out and get that eight unit, right? So it just made that progression a little bit easier for me being an active investor. So it kind of was, in my mind, it was logical. But yeah, if, if like, I still don't really understand office and self-storage and like, I get it enough to, I could sure. do it. But listen, I'm not, I'm not going to be putting any office deals in front of our investors anytime soon. <laughs> no, but it makes complete sense, right? Because you, you want to invest in something that, that makes sense that you can wrap your mind around. If you're going out and doing deals that you really don't understand why, you, I mean, it's, it's super risky, right? So the fact that you, you, you took that and you said, hey, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I think I, that I understand and I can build on. And then you start, you started there and then just moved on and kind of scaled, right? I think that's huge for a lot of people because some people just want to dive in. They're so anxious to dive in and just go, go, go. Uh, 
you need to start with something that you at least somewhat understand, right? And I think that's that's critical for success, especially in the long term, right? You can you can add on as you go, but when you're starting out, you definitely want to focus on something that you that you understand from the fundamental basis. So I love that. And so I kind of want to take that and talk about strategy for maybe people who are looking to get into multifamily now, or they're looking to build a multifamily portfolio. So you've been you've been in the game for for quite a while now, and you're coaching other people how to how to do this successfully, right? So for our listeners out there who are thinking about um, you know taking the plunge into multifamily, what are some of the best actions they can take? Just to, just to get started. Well, there's a few things, right? I think there's three pathways to get started in multifamily. The first one is kind of do what I did, right? Start small and scale slowly. Uh, that's a great strategy to to get going. Whether you want a house hack or not, that's a choice for you. But you can start with a smaller property, learn, grow. Uh, it helps to have maybe a partner or a mentor, somebody else who has more experience involved in that deal with you. But that's absolutely one way you can get started. You know, start small and scale. The second pathway is to hire a coach or a mentor, you know, get somebody in your corner that can give you the blueprint, that can give you the roadmap, and you kind of follow that and get their guidance to help you navigate and avoid major mistakes, right? The third way is to invest passively, you know, partner with someone else, put your money to work first, let them drive, be a passenger, and learn that way, and then decide when and you're ready, when and if you're ready to lead your own deal or be the active investor. But I think those are three distinct but easy pathways to get started. What I would not recommend at all is just go out there and buying something and figuring it out on the fly. The market is changing. There's lots of risk. And if you don't even know where the risks are, you're going to be in some trouble. So it's it helps to, again, be small enough where you can learn from your own mistakes and it won't crush you. Uh, have a partner or a JV or a coach, mentor, um, or just investing passively with a more experienced group so that you can kind of learn from someone else as you earn your your capital. I love that three-pronged approach really because it's it's huge, right? And it's really a good way to kind of, if you wanted to, you come at it at all three angles, but at least you can pick one and start there, right? And so I kind of, if we have time here, I want to kind of hit on all three of those, but I, I do want to start kind of with the coaching aspect of it because I think this is so important. You know, we mentioned going and get a coach. You coach a, a multifamily investor as well. And I, this is one of those things that, you know, I was very skeptical about hiring a coach when I first got into this just because mm-hmm. of the nature of it, right? But um, the one thing that I, I seem to always ask coaches or coaching programs when I get into it and those I found to be very helpful is what do you see in investors, your students who are the most successful? What are their traits, their characteristics that they bring to your as a student that you're like, okay, these guys are going to do well in this in this aspect? That's a great question. I think that's something that you have to ask yourself and understand before you hire a coach. Mm-hmm. One, how committed are you to this? Some people are very interested in doing something, but they're not committed. And it does take a level of commitment to see results. And think about it this way. Will you do the things your coach asks you to do? And and if you're, and you gotta be honest with yourself, right? We all say, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. Will you, are you seriously going to do it? Are you going to commit to it? Because it takes work, you know, coaches, mentors, they're not magicians. You know, you can't make something happen if they're not, if you're not willing to put in the work. So that's the first thing. Are you willing to put in the work? How much time can you commit to this? And I want to understand that, you know, this is the pathway that you're going to be committed to. Uh, my most successful students, they are committed to it. They put in the work and they can demonstrate that their their level of commitment and their level of understanding what they want. They also have a very clear vision of what they're trying to achieve and what they're looking for from me. Um, I would say that, 
you know, if, if you're just looking to get into real estate, I may not be the best person for you. There's mm -hmm. plenty of people who can tell you about the ins and outs of real estate. Where I'm extremely good is being able to help people attract capital for deals uh, and building kind of the platforms and building kind of uh, some of the marketing channels that they need to be successful. I spent 15 years in advertising and marketing, building brands, building large brands, understanding, you know, influencer marketing, social media marketing, all these kind of things. So for the folks who have the drive, who are authentic, um, I can help them tell their story. I can help them connect. And those individuals tend to do really well. I have a client who actually just closed on a property last week. Super excited for him. And this guy's been working his butt off. You know, he does everything we talk about. When we have a coaching session, I give him my notes. I tell him what I think he needs to do. He does them. And guess what? He gets results because he does them. You know, he hosts a meetup in his market. Uh, I think about half the investors in his last deal came from his meetup. Um, I talked to him about how to how to really take full advantage of hosting a meetup, right? I've done it. I've hosted a meetup. I've hosted a meetup and gotten nothing as far as <laughs> results from it, right? So I had to learn like, man, I'm doing this meetup. I'm not getting anything. We were talking about the podcast earlier, right? Hosted a podcast, launched a podcast. Did not get the results I thought I was going to get initially from launching a podcast. So I had to step back and say, well, why isn't this working? And I had to put my marketing hat on and say, ah, that's what I'm doing wrong. And that's where I'm able to help other people. But you got to be willing to put in the work. If you're not willing to launch a meetup, if you're not willing to go out there and talk to investors, if you're not willing to put up, pick up the phone, if you're not willing to talk to brokers and analyze deals, nothing I tell you is going to help. So for me, it's about that person is willing to take the action, but they're looking for guidance so that they can have uh, more efficiency in the action they're taking as opposed to just kind of doing a bunch of work, but not seeing the results from that effort. Yeah, uh, I love the way you said that, man, because it's absolutely true, right? And this is this is something I found when I first started to hire a coach, right? There's there's two things that I that I didn't fully understand is that that my vision had to be clear, just like you said, right? And my vision was not clear; it was murky at best, right? And so uh, it was just one of those things I just wanted to go and go as fast as I could. But then the other thing was, is I told myself that I would be coachable. I was like, okay, I'm going to be coachable. I'm going to go into this coachable, but but I wasn't. I really wasn't. If I had to sit back and reflect, I wasn't being uh, the best student that I could be, right? And so it was one of those things like finish that coaching coaching session and just kind of had to regroup and kind of like retrain myself. Like, listen, if I'm going to spend, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on this thing, why am I not being coachable? Why am I not doing what this person who's clearly very successful at this telling me to do. Right. And so I love that you brought that up, man, because those are some of the, the biggest points. And if anybody's listening about, you know, getting a coach or whatever, you know, take John's advice because that is, it's huge. So, um, okay. So we talked about coaching. I think that's, that's a huge way to get started. Right. And then also we talked about, um, building a portfolio, just scaling that. Right. And I think when I first got started in, um, real estate investing it was with single family rentals. Right. But I definitely ran into the issue of growing their portfolio. It was just, it was that simple, right? I either, I wasn't a good deal finder. I didn't have enough capital, something. Right. And later I found out that issue really isn't that uncommon, right? It happens to a lot of real estate investors. So, um, I know you talk a little bit about it. You had some of that with your own experience at first, whatever, and with your students, have you found that to be a common issue as well? Just the scaling factor? It's a common issue for a lot of people. And there, there are a few different factors that come into play. Okay. So one is the market's hot, right? This, mm -hmm. It is. There's a lot of competition. There are more people looking for multifamily investments than ever before. So there is increased competition. And with that, people are willing to 
you know, uh, take less in returns or maybe take more risk than you may be willing to take, particularly if you're a newer investor, right? If you're a newer investor, you've got to have a little bit more precaution built in there. You got to factor in the fact that, you know, you are newer. So there may be something that you missed or something you miss on the operation or execution side of things. So I do think it makes sense to have a little bit more precaution. What I would say, though, is that it's really important to still take action. The mm. reality is, is that people say it's hard to find deals, but when you start breaking down their actions, they're not doing enough. For instance, I could say uh, I had a uh, call with one of my clients last week and um, they were like, yeah, you know, hey, I'm not finding deals. I said, well, how many deals did you underwrite? It's like, oh, well, three. Okay, so you underwrote three deals. And how many of those three deals did you put in an offer on? None. Okay. So did you did you think there was going to be an offer accepted <laughs> if you didn't submit an offer? Right? right. So the reality is you got to reverse engineer this thing. And this is one of the things I tell my, my clients is like, you have to understand how many deals you need to see in order to find a deal that works. And typically the rule of thumb that a lot of people are taught is you got to see a hundred deals to buy one. So if that's the case, you need to be looking at 100 deals in order to buy one deal. Well, how many deals a week do you need to look at? They're 52 weeks in a year. So if you look at one deal a week, then you're probably going to find your first deal after about the two-year mark, mm. right? It's going to take you two years to find. That's if you're looking at one deal a week. Sure. Um, out, of that, out of that 100, only 30 are going to be worth analyzing, right? So... 70 of them aren't going to fit, you know, your, your, your criteria or you, you just know it's not going to work right away. So 30, you're going to analyze. So if you're only seeing one deal a week, that means every third deal you'll actually underwrite. So once every three weeks, basically once a month, you're going to analyze a deal. So you start to see why it's going to feel hard to find a deal because you're not seeing enough. And then we can reverse, we can fix the issue. We have to put enough work to understand it. So I like to use this analogy real quick. Let's say you want to get in great shape, okay? Cool, you want to get in great shape. We can Google how to get in great shape, right? Go to the gym, work out, eat right, all. We we know that, right? At a, right. You intuitively have a general sense of how to get in decent shape, right? Now I'm not talking Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you get in <laughs> decent shape, right? What happens is you have to go to the gym enough to understand why you're not seeing faster results, but if you're not even in the gym, what do we, you don't need to talk to anybody about that. You need to coach to do that. <laughs> but if you're in the gym three times a week for 45 minutes for let's say two, three months, then you can start to make the fine tune adjustments. Mm. You know, if you're, if you're, you can look at your calories, you can change this. You can say, Hey, you know what you need to do more heavy reps of this. And you know what I mean? Like now you can fine tune and fix it to get better results. But if you're not even in the gym, what are we talking about? And so many people want to find deals, they're not even in the gym. So you have to get in the game. You got to underwrite deals. You got to put in offers. And then we can course correct to say, okay, but well, why did that offer not work? What happened here? What can you adjust? Can you do something different here? But you cannot make those adjustments unless you're actually in the game looking at opportunities. So the biggest thing is having someone who can help you understand what it takes to be successful but it still comes down to you putting in the work. Just like, you know, I mentioned mentors aren't magicians. A fitness coach can't make you, you know, get in great shape, right? You have to be self-motivated to a certain level. And then you go to that person to help you with the feedback to help you see the results you're looking for.
I mean, that's huge, right? And I love that analogy because it's so true, right? If you're not actually putting in the work, then what can you expect, right? And I think that another thing that also puts into perspective, you know, you're talking about doing a hundred, you know, underwriting a hundred deals, how well, how many are you going to see? It really puts that into perspective as well. It's like, this is not going to be as easy as maybe as you thought initially, right? This is going to take a lot of work. It's going to take time. So you need to be resilient and you need to be productive at the same time, right? And so I think it's it's one of those things that you really got to wrap your mind around. And I think being, talking to somebody like you, John, who ha- who has done this before, who has been there, who has seen this multiple times, right? Having that kind of person in your corner to say, hey, this is this is how it works. And, you know, listen, I've done this and this is where I've been. I think having that kind of person in your corner is huge, right? Because you're really going to be able to kind of bypass a lot of that stuff if you are coachable and be able to take that to the next level, right? So I think, you know, if you're, whether you're scaling, whether you're, you know, just building, starting to build your portfolio, whatever, I think that's, those are huge tips um, and something to keep in the back of your mind as you move forward. Um, okay. So we talked about uh, two prongs of the fork. We talked about coaching, talked about scaling, and then there's also passive investing in real estate syndication. So why is that a good option for somebody say who's working a w2 job and wants to get into real estate investing well think about it we just talked about how much effort it takes to find a deal right looking at a hundred deals do you have the time to look at a hundred deals be honest with yourself and if that's not what you love listen i'm telling you i i spent way too many nights underwriting crappy deals and there's nothing more depressing for me than taking an hour and a half underwriting a deal just to realize we're millions of dollars off, right? I'm like, I just wasted the last hour and a half, right? I missed my kids going to bed. So I had to change up my whole process, right? Because I'm like, you know what? I'm getting depressed doing this stuff. I'm disappointed. It's frustrating. As a passive investor, one of the things for you is your time. You know, most of us look at real estate because it allows to get our time back. And underwriting those deals takes up a ton of time. So for me, I think one of the key things is Investing passively allows you to kind of get in once someone has already put in enough of that work to find a deal. Now, you got to validate that and make sure it's a fit for what you're looking for. You understand the level of risk in that deal. But it's a great way to earn while you learn, to come in, partner with somebody who's got more experience, put your capital to work, and then learn. What made this a deal? How did you come across that deal? Um, What do you think the business plan is? Why did you win this deal or get this deal and not someone else? You know, what is it that you saw in this deal that made you comfortable, you know, putting in an offer at this point that maybe other investors decided not to do? So you can ask very, you know, poignant, intelligent questions that will help you rethink and recalibrate the way you approach investing. And you can only get that if you're part of somebody who's more seasoned. So that allows you to be a better investor. You may realize you actually don't want to be active and you just enjoy putting your money to work and, you know, hanging out on the beach or golfing or whatever it is you like to do, um, as opposed to underwriting deals and finding one of your own. Or you might get the confidence you need to to grow. You know, you and I were talking offline, Daniel, and I think your story is very common, right? Some people start investing passively. You share what you're doing is working and people say, hey, man, that sounds amazing. I I'd love to, to to partner with you on the next deal or can I get involved in some of that too? And now you've got a chance to bring in the people in your circle so that they can get exposure to, you know, to all the great benefits that the multifamily investing has to offer. So there's definitely a lot of value in it, particularly if you're still trying to figure out your lane. Because what I would say is anyone who's looking to be on the active side, I want you to be committed. I don't want you to be trying this out and hoping this works. And three years later, you're telling me, nah, you quit that. You you run an e-commerce business, right? <laughs> I'm investing my money with you as a multifamily operator. 
I want you to be committed to running multifamily. I don't want you as a serial entrepreneur trying out 50 different you know, enterprises because that tells me you're not focused on this one. So there's some businesses where you can do that. And if you're, you know, venture capital, sure, you just stroke a check and hope this guy's got a great idea. But right. when it comes to multifamily investing, I want someone who I know is committed to this. And that's the thing I'm looking for. And if you're a passive investor or you're still trying to figure it out, I don't think you should be taking money from people, at least if you're the lead operator, if you aren't confident, you're going to be doing the same thing five, seven, 10 years from now. If this is a try it out and see how it fits, or I heard I can make money, so I'm going to do this now, that would be a, a huge red flag to me as an LP investor. Yeah, and I think we could probably spend a whole show just talking about red flags when for passive investors looking at looking at deals and sponsors, right? But uh, I totally agree. Um, that is one of the biggest things that I was paying attention to when I first got started in passive investing. I was like, how how can I invest with the right people, right? Because that was my biggest concern. Because you know, like you said, stri- you know, stroking a check for fifty thousand dollars to somebody I maybe have met twice, it's uh, it's one of those things. At first, it's like, man, this is this seems kind of risky. So when I first got started in passive investing, it actually took me. Quite a while. I, I, you know, I joined masterminds. I went to to meetups. I, you know, traveled to to conferences, and you know, spent a lot of time and money learning about this stuff, right? And then, but as soon as I had a good had a good understanding and confidence, then I was able to place capital intelligently a lot faster in better deals than I would have ever found on my own, right? And and to be completely honest, I I. I wasn't good at finding deals and I didn't have the time. You know, I was always working out in the oil field and uh, just completely busy, right? So. It was really one of those things like I had to recognize where my where my interests were and where my strengths were and my weaknesses, right? And so uh, for me, passive investing kind of just fit that mold really easily, right? And so just like you said, though, I love your point about, you know, if maybe you decide you don't want to be just passive, maybe you decide you want to get a little bit active, this is the best way to earn and learn at the same time, right? And so I think that's that's huge and that uh, I hope a lot of our listeners will take that away and uh, be able to use that in their own portfolios. But uh, uh, John, so uh, one more question before we get out of here, man. Uh, so the last 12 months, you know, they've been, uh, last 12, 24 months have been a little bit different uh, than say the like the previous 10 years, right? So uh, as we move, you know, we moved in this higher interest rate environment, all that stuff, but being a multifamily guy, I love multifamily. Can you provide some insight on how you, or navigating this kind of this new investing landscape, or maybe how you're advising your students to go forward, say in in the near term. Yeah, I think the fundamentals reign true here. So you know, when you're looking at deals, a lot of people are looking at the interest rate and looking at the loan. Uh, I would say that hey, if it's a light value add deal, trying to find fixed debt is ideal because you may not create enough value to either a refinance or you know create enough equity where a refinance makes sense because who knows what the interest rate is going to be in the future. But if it's a if it's a medium or deeper value add deal, I think there's still a role for bridge or variable financing. Mm-hmm. I know some people are are moving away from it completely, but the reality is is that interest rates tend to fluctuate, especially when you get into kind of recession. So most people are predicting that interest rates will come down over the next 12 to 18 months or 12 to 24 months. So if you're going to do a big renovation play and drive up all this value and create this equity in this project, you don't want to have it tied up, you know, where there's a huge prepayment penalty and you can't really tap into that equity you've created over the next three, four or five years. So in that case, a bridge debt may still make sense. I would absolutely put a rate cap on there, but I would say the biggest thing is, be conservative with your business plan, be conservative with your projections, take the time to understand and really evaluate what could go wrong. And what I mean by that is to say, 
if you're projecting rents to go up 15%, well, what if they don't? What if they only go up 7%? What if they're flat? You know, does the deal still work? You may not make as much money. We understand that, but would you be able to sleep at night? Can you still make your payments? Can you still protect your investor's capital? I think capital preservation is the name of the game right now. You should be looking at every deal with that as the first thing you're paying attention to. And then you want to pay attention to the upside from there. So, you know, every deal is different and every, every investing strategy is a little bit different. But for me, I think those fundamentals still reign true. And we look at deals with those eyes of capital preservation, then the value upside. And then, of course, we want to make sure that we are, tor you know, I want to say torture, but we are, we are, uh, you know, testing, stress testing our deals to make sure that we understand where there may be any vulnerabilities and what we can do to mitigate those risks. Yeah, I absolutely love it, man. Sticking to the fundamentals, but being open to opportunity, right? And like you said, stress testing those deals, seeing what's out there and evaluating what's on the market, man. Absolutely love that strategy going forward. John, man, this has been a phenomenal conversation, man. Really have enjoyed our chat today. Before we get out of here, tell the listeners how they can find out more about you and what you got going on. Yeah, the easiest thing, listen, if, if you're interested in investing, uh, we have a sample deal package on our website. Uh, it's for both active and passive investors. It gets you into a little bit of the terminology, the deal structure. It just gives you a little bit more insight on what you should be paying attention to. So you can check that out at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. So kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. Awesome. John, we're going to make sure to put that in the show notes, man. Again, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me, Daniel. It was great talking to you. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.